I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation man has been inspired to have. I cared about what he wanted and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him. In spite of all his imperfections, I'm a fan of man! Welcome to Steak Fan Podcast. If we're meeting for the first time, my name is Kevin. And today, I have two special guests who work for Amazon. Uh, happy, happy you guys could come on the show. Drew, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Drew Dzinskis. I'm a resident of Joliet, Illinois. I am 38 years old, and I have been at Amazon for uh, two years, since August of 2019, August 16th, 2019. Um, I am also a very active organizer at Amazon, uh, attempting to organize the labor force there um, in a variety of ways, uh, and that is how I came across the podcast. And with that, I'd like to pass it along to the other introductions. Yeah, no, I'm I'm Dan. Uh, I've been uh, at Amazon since April of this year, and uh, I've kind of been on both sides of of being in a union and kind of not fighting against the union, but you know you have your head butts when you're in, obviously when you're in management. So I have some sort of background in it, and just excited to talk about Amazon and um, what's what it's what's in store for the future. You're for union, right? Yes, but I'm also for general organizing within the workplace as protected by section seven of the National Labor Relations Act, which provides all uh, workers in a setting where they're hourly workers for a company like Amazon, you have the right to self-organization uh, for the purposes of mutual aid and benefit. So you don't necessarily have to be in a union to enjoy, to, to organize. Uh, however, yes, given the opportunity, I would form a union at Amazon uh, and I'm watching the union organization across the country very, very closely. Uh, I am currently in the, uh, I, I am in the process of developing a team uh, of people to be on the organizing committee at our facility. Uh, and from there, you begin to address uh, you know, issues. And then eventually, if that is the will of your organization, uh, you can approach a union uh, and seek certification and recognition. Um, however, I, I am a uh, a true believer, a true believer, if you will. Uh, I am very dedicated to self-organization and sort of ground up organizing. So it matters much more to me that the people that I'm working with are all on the same page and working towards the same goals than necessarily bringing in a union from above. So I'm also a member of a national labor organizing group called United for Respect. I'm a leader member uh, of the group. Um, different things I've done. Uh, earlier this year, I met with a representative from the White House uh, to talk about safety conditions at uh, Amazon that I had witnessed during COVID. I talked to the, the person from the White House. Um, additionally, I have engaged uh, other employee or that I've done for United for Respect. I also helped them launch a Voices of Amazon Instagram page. I was the very first anonymous uh, uh, posting, although it wasn't that anonymous. They sent out an email with the post. And uh, it was in regards to my effort on May 1st of 2021 to uh, remind people or inform people, I should say, of the 
uh, people that died uh, in order for us to enjoy the eight hour workday. Uh, there were a number of people that died in 1886 uh, because they were falsely accused of inciting a riot. Uh, eventually those became known as the Haymarket Martyrs because the original event was the Haymarket incident. Um, I was uh, within 17 minutes of, of mentioning this, I was threatened with a breathalyzer. So uh, that's kind of how Amazon plays. Um, and that was an experience that I had uh, that, that really, um, showed me that Amazon is what I kind of thought they were uh, coming in two years ago. Um, but I, I want to give the floor over to Dan and kind of continue on with that. Right? I, yeah, I, like we had talked about before, I had been at Amazon since April. And I had felt from the day I walked in there, it felt a little different from, you know, I've worked for a lot of companies in the past. And I don't know, something about Amazon, just how they operated from the, there's no direct you know, management really, you're kind of on your own in a lot of ways to the, the monitoring all day, um, your progress and stuff being monitored to, you know, a lot of the other uh, maybe petty or small things is something that I hadn't really um, encountered before I uh, came to Amazon. So it was kind of a, a different kind of shift in a way, uh, starting there and working there for the first uh, few months. A common question I get is why union, you know, and obviously without unions, we would have, uh, we, we wouldn't have like the child labor laws right now that we have, you know, but okay, Drew, uh, why union? Why unionized? Is it going to protect you in Illinois? Because Illinois has uh, any employee can fire you for anything and you can quit at any time. Like that's the only thing is like will union be able to protect you. Yeah, you're referring to at will employment and that is something that a union contract can guard you against. Uh, you, you can make it so that you can't be at will as that's my understanding, right? Uh, but why union? Well, I'm gonna ramble a little bit, but I assure you I have a point here. So uh, unions were first formally recognized in 1935 uh, by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who signed the National Labor Relations Act into effect. That was a huge boost for union organizing because it gave legal protections to organize and also within the company or within the union, you know, you, you couldn't be broken up. Before then, it was a lot of bloody things happened between unions and companies. I mean, and the unions clearly, you know, and the union side of things, they have black eyes from the past, but as do the companies. People don't don't know about things like the Colorado labor wars. I say that's 1910, 1911, where a very overzealous brigadier general from the uh, National Guard opened fire on a camp of women and children uh, that were supporting striking minors. So, I mean, before the NLRA, it, things could get kind of heady and it was supposed to bring peace. Uh, now, there was a sort of golden age of organizing from 1935 to 1947, where we saw official union membership, what's now known as union density, you know, how many people are working in unions, see a massive spike up, uh, and it continued uh, into the 50s and, and a little bit beyond, but in 1947, they passed something called the Taft-Hartley Act, which kind of put a curb on the National Labor Relations Act. Um, they're currently trying to overturn some of the provisions of the Taft-Hartley Act, uh, and without getting into too much of the minutia, you have seen a steady decline in private sector union density. You know, that is to say how many people are in a union uh, in a given area, right? So if you have 35% 
uh, union membership of the private sector. That's one in three people that you know that are in a union. So since 1947, you've seen a continual drop uh, in union, private sector union membership. Public sector is still around one in three, 30% or so. Uh, but you've seen it just keep dropping till now. I want to say it's at 7%. Uh, very, very, I mean, it's under 10%. So interestingly enough, you've seen income inequality rise that entire time, almost a direct relation to the union density. Now, of course, anybody that knows statistics knows that correlation doesn't indicate causation, but that doesn't mean you can rule out the correlation too. Uh, there does seem to be a link between income inequality, that is, how much people make at the top, the CEOs of these companies and all in the private sector, compensation for the top 1%, if you will, versus compensation for the bo bottom percent seems to correlate with union density and union membership. So as real wages continue to drop uh, because of inflation and union membership dropped, income inequality and the amount of money people at the top were making continue to rise in, in terms of a percentage. So I believe that strongly that based on that pattern historically, because this is over you know, the span of a century, I feel strongly that income inequality uh, is tied to union membership in the private sector. And so in short, I kind of want to see the whole country get a raise and to get back to that point where real wages were higher, income equality was less, and union density was high. So that's that's kind. Of, I know that's a long story for a simple question, but I think it's. In, I'm I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to put that into this podcast somewhere that people understand it's not just whistle and Dixie. There is pattern. There are patterns to watch the same way you watch stock markets, you know, or business trend. There's a trend that union density uh, leads to higher income inequality, and so I I think it's important that people put it in that context you know, historical context of, of what this struggle is. The 1980s with Reagan was kind of, it felt like I'm, I've been only 35 years old, but I feel like the first maybe start, the real decline was with, with Reagan in the 80s and his push for, you know, rising productivity. And he kind of was the first to kind of stomp unions out. And then I feel like it kind of transitioned maybe a little bit to um, NAFTA in 92 with Bill Clinton that he wasn't able to, um, you know, George George H. Bush was wouldn't have been able to pass NAFTA, but it took it took a Democrat president to kind of I felt like get that through, and I felt like that in particular was pretty pretty hurtful to the unions because it, it they I felt like they lost a lot of their power, and I feel like as I've grown up, um, the unions have declined. You know, every you know every five ten years have gone less and less until now it. I don't I couldn't even tell you too many unions like around the country, probably still. Um, I can think of the UPS one, but and I'm sure, you know, in, in the trades, there's probably still some. But I feel like there's been a major decline. And I feel like the workers, even if I'm not necessarily pro union like myself, I feel like it's it, they are uh, somewhat necessary. I feel like we've seen some of this income inequality and um, other other events from the the lack of power that you know, organizing has at the moment. As of right now, the Teamsters are thinking about taking over the Amazon, uh, I think it's called like the Amazon project they're working on. How do you, how do you feel about that, Drew? Well, I, I, again, I'm watching a lot of this very closely. I'm a newsie, uh, as I call it, right? Like I'm constantly taking in information. It's why I, I, I don't feel so bad about 
you know, maybe being the only one talking about something. Because I remember about a, about two years ago, I was the only one talking about a little virus coming out of Wuhan in China, right? And that seemed to be right. So I, because I mean, when that when the coronavirus hit, you know, I was watching it. Same thing with the the union uh, and the Teamsters getting involved is a big plus. Uh, for this movement. And I wanna make sure it, that's kind of understood that I think one of the ways that we overcome those prejudices and that historical you know, view of unions is that there's kind of a new labor movement rising in, in my opinion. You know, People are kind of waking up and realizing uh, that you have to work things from the ground up. Now, with that said, you wanna build a big tent and get as many allies as you possibly can for an effort like this. And if you read some of the information coming out from the Teamsters about how they view uh, their efforts with Amazon, you'll see that they understand perfectly well that some of the bigger obstacles are, you know, like the N National Labor Relations Board, which governs uh, union elections, which are run just like any other election. Um, the NLRB, uh, you know, kind of the NLRB election process inherently favors Amazon. They have the most money. They can design the facilities so that you don't talk to a single person for, you know, hours at a time, maybe, you know, uh, so they have all this control. It doesn't favor us as organizers uh, to, to win a union election. Uh, and if you, and the Teamsters, I'm really excited about them jumping in because I do think that they can help generate leverage if they want to. And they also have a lot of collective experience organizing. And they've been pretty, pretty upfront about the fact that they understand uh, that it may not, you may not be able to, to follow a more traditional election strategy given Amazon size and power. Uh, so we have to work, we have to fight smart, not hard, right? Uh, it helps to have 1.4 million members across the country like the Teamsters do. Um, uh, however, I am most excited too about the fact that they're being very realistic about this. They're actually saying that this could be a generational effort. It's taken 25 years for Amazon to get as big as it is. It could be another 25 until it's kind of brought into the fold uh, of being run like a more union type shop. I had noticed that about, I had read some articles about the Teamsters and I saw that the push they are making, you know, even very recently after the, uh, the vote in Alabama, but is uh, the push to kind of be more involved as a long-term goal of, the long-term goal is organizing the workforce is from what I understand. And the short-term goal right now is to be more of a disruptive force in terms of stopping, you know, maybe through local government or through um, fighting certain tax breaks that have been given to Amazon, that that kind of is the current strategy of Teamsters. So when asked directly, uh, asked directly about what they're going to do, the team, the person representing the Teamsters simply said, stay tuned. Uh, but okay. that, I think, is an indicator of there. We there. And I'm not giving up everything I know on the podcast, to be honest with you. Okay, okay. As, as big a mouth as I have, you know, I could probably <laughs> give the whole I could give the whole farm away. Right. Um, so I'm trying to play a little closer to the vest, but as I said, I'm very excited about the Teamsters, and yeah, they're they're approaching this the right way. I think um, they want to build, in, in their words, they want to build a militant union base because uh, that's what it's going to take uh, to get. And by militant, I don't mean utilizing violence, but you know, uh, the same way you would run a military, right? There's sort of a chain of command. There's a system. You know, there's you know, you are real. You you are you know, when you're militantly union, you're not trying to hear about the non-union benefits right you want a union and you want that that power in the workplace on the shop floor so yeah i mean you, you're getting it right it it's such a broad project i mean it's hard to pin it down 
you know once once you work over eight hours your work it, it becomes not you know precise so what happens when you work 60 hours in a week for months at a time you know i've heard stories of people having to put their feet in ice buckets every day that's extreme you know I was definitely doing that my first two months of working there. Every day I'd come home and I'd have to ice my feet. Otherwise, I couldn't walk the next day. It took it took that a long time just to for my feet to get used to it. And it's still not perfect, but it it took a while. It was very painful those first couple months. I, I remember it was not easy. How do you guys feel about somebody saying, well, that's the job at Amazon. You picked it. If you don't like it, you can leave. I say two can play a deck game. If you don't like us talking about it, I hear it's easy to find work and just up and leave. So and that is exactly my counter to that. No one has a right to tell you that you should just leave a, leave a setting, in, in my opinion, especially since Section 7 is an extension of the First Amendment. So you have a right to talk to other people and to talk about these issues. Uh, and they don't have to like it. Um, but you don't want to be adversarial. I mean, that's somebody you might want to win over, right, and convince that, you know, maybe you want to be part of the union. Um, and, and to that, I would say, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do better at all. I think Amazon, Amazon's corporate wing encourages that kind of thinking, right? But do we see it necessarily on the shop floor? I don't really feel like we always do. I feel like they set expectations that are pretty lofty. Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of failure to execute on the shop floor to those, you know, the, the 14 principles and the corporate culture and all that. Um, at the end of the day, you know, how much of that are they doing versus just kind of burning and turning people? Uh, if you don't like it, you can leave. You know, uh, I, I want to say I am a picker uh, as well. I have been a picker for two years. Um, and I, I part of what happened to me was that I had so I give you a little background too. Uh, I, I was for the last 10 years, I've basic my main profession, my favorite profession has been running uh, electoral campaigns. So for aldermen, for state representatives, for state senators, for con congressional districts, right? So uh, I've done that for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I lost the last race I was kind of in charge of by 13 votes. So that was a stinger. I worked for Deb Mel for Alderman in the 33rd Ward. Um, I put I put a lot of effort into that, uh, but you don't win everything. So I had to sort of sort of go back home. Uh, and campaign work is seasonal. They actually started a union. I didn't think about joining it because I probably wouldn't have worked very much. You know, if they found out you're not everyone, there were campaign worker guild units, but you know, it's just as dangerous to do that in the democratic you know, campaign world. And you can look up the Campaign Workers Guild and see some of the stories that they have. Uh, at best, it's, uh, you know, it's a seasonal position, uh, the kind of stuff I did too, specializing in field and voter contact. So, uh, you know, I would have to find jobs. You know, I worked as a contractor painting. I worked, uh, you know, a couple different odd jobs here and there. And two years ago, I took a job with Amazon after, you know, after a loss, hoping that I you know, would have won and had some opportunities come from that. Instead, I came home and, you know, Amazon was hiring. So, uh, and that was also when I had health benefits for the first time in 15 years. So I went to my doctor and I just had the standard battery done, you know, liver, kidneys, and they found out my blood sugar was really, really out of whack. Uh, and I was officially diagnosed as a diabetic type two. Um, and they began putting, they put me on a medicine. It's very effective and very cheap. Um, 
but Amazon's work schedule, whether you're picking, so picking, you can walk 15 to 20 miles in a day. Uh, I currently have a restricted schedule and I walk about anywhere from eight to 12 miles in a day um, because of my disability, right? And the diabetic stuff. And I, they shifted my metabolism is the best way I can uh, explain it. So between the medicine and the exercise, there were a lot of side effects, dizziness, gastrointestinal issues, vomiting, et cetera. Uh, you know, that's pretty gross, I know, but that was, you know, what was happening. Uh, and I worked in the pack department for six months straight at one point, and I was still walking 10 to 15 miles a day, you know, even being in a position where I just sat in one spot. Uh, so uh, I can say that that effect, that had a physical effect on me. And, you know, maybe I, I, I don't know if I advocated for myself properly or not. Uh, but I mean, when you have low blood sugar, that affects your amygdala. So judgment, orientation, thinking was all slowed down. It was so bad. I didn't really realize that there was something wrong until I switched medicines. Um, and there was this long process where I took an FMLA leave. I was off for a few months. Uh, when I came back, uh, they put, you know, they, I was still on the old medicine and I started having symptoms again. So they put me on something that costs like six or 700 bucks a month, you know, something I couldn't afford. It's called Genuvia. I couldn't afford that without Amazon's healthcare and, and low copays, which by the way, if you didn't know, Amazon gets those kinds of deals, or at least has to be getting the kind of deal that it's get, uh, got on insurance, uh, at insurance prices because they leverage their size into better deals for their pool at the expense of the rest of the country. So um, once they switched me, it took a little while to, to figure it out and I had to reduce my schedule and I finally got kind of leveled out. And that's kind of how I ended up now. I'm working back towards full-time and hopefully I'd like to be able to, I don't, I would like to be able to be a true Amazonian and work 10 hour days. Uh, but the last time we did that, it, it hurt me. It really did hurt me. And management was aware, uh, and I feel like they also kind of biffed, the, the facility kind of biffed on explaining my rights to me uh, and what my rights legally were uh, in terms of having that disability because diabetes is covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. So there was a whole lot of people, including myself, that didn't know what to do. And some of that has kind of caused what I'm doing right now, which is kind of fighting for, for more advocacy in the workplace, you know. I was in a union at one point for five years. I was a member of Ask Me with the Springfield Park District, Ask Me Local 2050, proud, right? Um, and I know that we had guys that were diabetic and that we did work on trees, which is incredibly hard work with chainsaws and stuff like that. Uh, you know, if, if somebody got sick like that, we, we wouldn't just pre keep pressing them, you know, and somebody, a steward probably would have explained what options you had on what you could do in terms of taking leave. I went to HR uh, last June. Uh, I took my FMLA leave in October last year, but in June, I went to HR and explained I was having problems. And they basically told me, they basically said, the person I talked with there basically said, if you don't like it, you know, there's other places to work, right? Um, and after I went to HR, I noticed uh, my assignments, you know, I, they, I, there was a strength, there were a lot of strange things happening. And I feel that I was retaliated against for going to HR. Uh, and then additionally, coming back when you take FMLA leave, that's the kind of thing they have to report to OSHA. That's the, you have to start thinking about these things, I, I think, too, in terms of what Amazon wants to hide. It doesn't necessarily want to produce OSHA records for somebody being hurt. So if somebody is at sick at work, 
you know, they don't necessarily want you to go to the doctor, right, and take that time off. And I just feel like with a more supporting cast, if you will, uh, that that I wouldn't have gotten as bad as I did. I feel like a lot of the problems, it, it kind of stems when people complain, it stems from pick. I feel like a lot yeah. of the, the, the complaints are from pick for people that don't know. Um, it's kind of like you take the center aisles of your shopping, you know, your grocery store, and you kind of just do that. All you, they give you an item on the scanner. They tell you where it's at and you got to walk there and, and get the item. And they expect you to do a hundred an hour, which is what, 1.5 a minute or something like that, yeah. something close to that. And they expect you to do that for the entire time. And that, that can add up to 15, 20 miles a day. So it's, it's, it's hard for me when they, because when, in the same breath, they talk about how much they care about your health and safety. But then on the other hand, they got no problem putting you 15 miles a day for six days a week in pick, and they won't bat an eye at that. And, you know, that's marathon training, really, when you think about it. Out of this, you know, that's 15 miles. Um, a marathon's 26.2. So every two days, you're doing over a marathon of walking. And day after week after week, that really, I feel, I, what I always say is it grinds down my body. Like my, I feel like my body gets like grinded down by the time the weekend comes. And that even when I leave work after, like you were talking about icing your feet, that's what I, I did that for the first two months. And still, I come home and I'm, I'm very tired. You know, there's really not much to that you can do in those last couple hours before you got to go to sleep, wake up and do the whole do the whole thing again. Yeah. Not to mention the mental strain, you know, and then I talk about the injuries. Um, Amazon has double the rate of the industry average in terms of injuries in a warehouse and um, double that of Walmart, which I think, I think I read that they're at 6.5 for injuries for every 100, as opposed to Walmart was around three, I believe was the, was the stats working there is for the workers has, you know, it's hasn't been as safe as, you know, the industry standard or, and it's way above what it is. So yeah, yeah. when people, when people have problems, it, it's not coming from this random out there place. It's, you think you can go on your treadmill and walk 15 miles every day and, you know, feel good about, you know, feel good afterwards and do 60 miles in a week or 75 in a week and then rest one day and then do it all again. It's, and for peak season, I believe we're going to be on six days for at least a month or two. So they expect you to do, they're expecting us to do this for a month and a half, two months straight. And it also, I feel like seems to be picky, seems to be used as sort of a punishment punishment sometimes for employees that try to act out in other departments if you if you don't like something that's going on or if you got a question or concern about something I feel like it's easy for them just to then conveniently send you to pick in the next couple days for a couple weeks until you uh straighten out I guess (laughs) (laughs) well you know I mean so here's I am sort of a reverse of that I love pick because I like walking. I'm a hiker. That's how I spend my free time. So I actually kind of, it can be hard. Yeah. But I'm the way my mind works. It's actually more stressful for me to stand in one spot for 10 hours. Right. It's just, I need to be in motion. I'm totally the ADD ADHD kid, right. I'm all over the place. Uh, So picks actually pretty good for me. And what I experienced is that because I liked it, they didn't let me do it is what I felt like. Uh, and they kept sending me to a department I didn't like. So uh, it is absolute, I mean, and no matter how you cut it, 
they are using what I call quality of life tactics, right? They, you know, they make your life hard if, if they don't like what you're doing uh, or if they want to kind of get at you. They, they're very good at identifying kind of your, it's a good, and I think all, a lot of businesses, let's not pretend that this is just Amazon. There's a lot of businesses doing this, uh, but I don't think that gives Amazon a pass. But yeah, I enjoyed picking. Uh, and the statistics you're referring to, Dan, were from the Strategic Organizing Center. I think that's it, the SOC, uh, SOC it to them. But they compiled OSHA data, and that was how they found the double the average injury rate. Um, and then also, I believe it was the New York Times that referenced JFK 8, where they were attempting to form the union. They had a 150% turnover rate. So basically, it's like something like every eight months, they're burning through a new batch of people. Very few people make it through Amazon. Yeah. And, and that's by design. That's now public too, that the process engineers, or who, I believe that's the term for it, the processes have been engineered to, they don't, they don't want somebody being at that T1 level one entry level for more than three years, even though that's the vast majority of the positions. Uh, you simply, there's not enough uh, advancement opportunity for everyone performing that work to move up. And, and additionally, if they didn't do that work, if pickers didn't pick, the customer wouldn't, there would be no business, right? So that's, so if they all just walked off, uh, and but Amazon's mentality seems to be very much that burn them and turn them that you got three years. Uh, if you don't move up within three years, they, they don't they don't really want you. And I think at our facility, we see people that have been there three, four, five years, um, and they, they, you know, they hit a cap for how much money they make after three years. I mean, raises stop and it's, yeah, it, it's a tough scene. And these poor, you know, there's poor people out there. Uh, there was a, one of the people uh, trying to organize the Amazon labor union is a woman uh, in New York that makes, I want to say like 19 bucks an hour. Uh, so not a bad wage for, for us in the Midwest, especially, um, but in New York, that doesn't cut it. You know, a studio apartment or whatever it is, like 1200 1500 a month. So you can't afford that on 19 bucks an hour. So she sleeps in her car in the parking lot because she feels the parking lot is safer than a lot of other places. Um, that's a shame. I mean, nobody working full time, in my opinion, should have to stay or live in their car. It was also kind of disturbing, too, to hear that there was one of the th things she mentioned specifically is older men uh, preying on like younger women or uh, there's kind of a make make a match or mix and match or you know the matchmaker kind of scenario where you know these older men kind of provide housing to women that are willing to date them and this woman said she wasn't interested in that so she preferred to you know sleep in her car so this is disturbing to me this is very disturbing to me to hear that the most prolific wealth producing company in the history of the US has full-time employees sleeping in their car and you have scenarios like, uh, you know, women dating older men for, you know, uh, financial gain or for, uh, or being preyed on, we should really say, uh, for financial gain or a place to live. It's very sad to me. It's very, very sad. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in there and kind of piggyback on it, onto that, because uh, I think that woman's story is significant. And what's also kind of disturbing to me, if I may, and I'm going to segue into something, I don't know if this is where you wanted it to go, but I'm going to segue here into Amazon's response to organizers and people speaking out. So I go in a couple of online groups and I present these arguments. It's how I sharpen up my skills is letting people troll me. Uh, after a while, they figure out uh, that I'm using them as much as they're using me and sort of manipulating them into giving me the opposition messaging. And it's amazing to watch the reverse engineering, as I call it, on, say, the woman sleeping in her car. Uh, 
there, they, there are a lot of pro-company people, anti-union in particular, because I make union-type posting and organizing-type postings, and they reversed they reverse engineered and said, well, if this woman is living at home, or if this woman's sleeping in her car, there has to be something, there has to be another problem. She, she must have bad credit, she must have, a, have evictions on her notice, there must be something else, she's not budgeting right. And it's it's kind of like no the the New York Times I believe that it was the New York Times they went over her budget it adds up she can't afford a place to live in the place she, in, in the area she works at Amazon at it just but this 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 drive to sort of break down opposition uh, and and make it about them you know the poor guy and uh, I think. JFK 8 again, they seem to have a lot of problems at that facility. A guy by the name of Chris Smalls, who's one of the organizers now, uh, he led a walkout, you know, during the beginning of COVID. Um, and, you know, they fired him on, on some real bad charges. The National Labor Relations Board got his job back, but there was a leak of internal emails uh, outlining their strategy, which it, it was vicious. It was vicious. They said, this guy is, quote, not smart and articulate. And they wanted to, because of that, they wanted to make him the face of union organizing for the country because they considered him to not be smart or articulate. Ironically enough, he has become a leader now in the, in the organizing movement. He has his job back and he's helping spearhead this. Uh, but it shows that they would much, it seems like they would much rather attack workers and even even you know individually uh, make this about them as opposed to the issues of low wages high injury rates and stuff like people living in their cars or the number of people uh, collecting public aid that are working full-time at amazon they don't want to talk about all that they want to talk about the person you know what mistakes have they made they're doing it currently i just saw a text that went out through the the system at amazon where they said uh you know, the, the people organizing the Amazon labor movement have no, they have, the arguments they're making now is that they have no uh, history of negotiation. They don't know how to negotiate uh, and they're not good with their own personal finances. And that they have a link that I assume trashes one of the individuals signing the cards and they went through their financial history, you know, and they're using that as a reason. Well, you, you don't want to, you don't want to address all these other things. You know, we want to just attack the person that's organizing. And I've certainly experienced that as well. And I want to give up the floor a little bit because I said quite a bit there. But when you're ready, I do have some personal stories of kind of how they've come after me uh, and, and how I feel about that. Alabama lost their fight against Amazon trying to build their union. Why do you guys believe that that happened? Why, why were they able to lose? Um, for, for one, I don't know how it began, really. But it seemed like it was a, a, a tough first place, like, or a tough place to try to get something started. I feel like um, unions are, or union organizing is traditionally a, a democratic kind of a, kind of a thing that's, they've kind of influenced and, you know, donated money to the Democratic Party for, for decades. And I feel like Alabama is a traditionally red, really red state. I can't think of the last time it went blue. So I, I'm just purely just looking at it from not the most educated view. It seemed like it was a tough place to maybe have a springboard for a union effort. But I did also see that there was um, some problems with the vote. Uh, there was uh, apparently some uh, a USPS box or a US mailbox was set outside and it was monitored by a security camera was sort of one thing was sort of one issue. And uh, some sort of they were handing out anti-union um, 
you know, documents and they're, I guess they were handing out vote no pins to the employees and they were just trying to do everything they could to kind of stifle it. And I think that um, they might have a revote or it might be up for another sort of vote because of all of these controversies. So yeah, I, think, I guess. I think they got to wait a year. Before oh, a year? Uh, I, could, I can't speak to that. Um, yeah. I've actually been in touch with workers on the shop floor in Bessemer. I want to give a shout out to my, my friend Daryl Richardson and my friend Jennifer Bates at BHM1 in Bessemer, Alabama. Uh, all through Facebook, by the way. Uh, that's how I do most of my organizing. Uh, but uh, they are going to, the National Labor Relations Board is going to overturn that election and they're going to rerun it. I don't, it, it, I don't know when exactly. I know that you have to wait if you lose and they don't find any problems. But if they find problems, they overturn the election and you rerun it. Um, and I believe they filed 23 unfair labor practice complaints, something along like, you know, double digits, I believe over 20 unfair labor practices are when the company does something like open a USPS box right near the, you know, the doors, and you're not even allowed to give the impression you're being watched, right? So that's, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, so they are going to overturn that election and rerun it. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, it was a two to one margin, but tactics that Amazon uses flyers in the bathroom, uh, text messages and emails and stuff like that, telling them why they shouldn't vote for a union, uh, making a website called Do It Without Dues, you know, harping on the, the $500 a year or whatever that you could put into your groceries. Even though a union could get you a $5,000 a year raise, you know, you don't want to pay that $500 for it, right? Business-wise, that's called a return on investment, right? And that's, a, that's another topic. But Bessemer was an inspiration. Uh, and I think something to note here is that uh, Amazon will not be, not, not be able to get away with cheating in any more elections now. They're going to be scrutinized far too heavily. The whole country was watching that. And, and they had our undivided attention, right? With the COVID, we were still kind of locked in. So they, Bessemer was a real inspiration. I've heard people, you know, I've read articles online where they, they kind of trash the effort. But I, I mean, those were some very brave people. They went yeah. to the retail worker union and they said, we want to do this. And unions are not, they don't run the show. Workers are members of a union and they vote on everything. Theoretically, you know, uh, it's not supposed to be a top-down thing. So my understanding is that they went to the union and even though the union knew this wouldn't be ideal, unions are in the job of protecting workers. And that's what they do. That's what they exist for. That's what they're supposed to do. So the union knew that it, it may not win it, but they went ahead and did it anyways because the workers wanted it. And they, they came to them and asked for help. And they were very brave to do that, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, they, we may not, we still may not win that one down there. But again, the, all, the effect of this is also heightened scrutiny of what Amazon's doing during these elections. And I think that's important because I almost, I feel like, some companies and union busting in itself or union avoidance as it is, you know, uh, kind of relies on being able to cheat a little bit. If you're not allowed to cheat, we don't, we don't know, uh, you know, what that, what that's going to be. I'm, I'm hoping for a win for them, but like I said, if not, they did us all a big favor by getting organized down, getting organized. And I would point out too, I don't think they even got as, they had a lot of signatures and cards that they petitioned the NLRB with the election for. And I don't think they had that many people turn out to vote. That even, you know, or vote for the union, I should say. I think like twice as many people uh, signed a card as, as actually voted for the union. So, again, it wasn't ideal. Also, there were things that they could, the unions couldn't do. Like they can come, like you, anybody, 
because I've, I've done this on political campaigns a lot. You can go up to anybody's door and ask their opinion on something. That's your First Amendment right. And they have every right to tell you to get out of there, too. That's keep in mind, you know, you have a right to say no, but they couldn't do those kinds of house calls. They couldn't do real one on one kind of conversations with people. So, uh, yeah, I think Bessemer is going to end up being uh, they're going to rerun. And like I said, I don't want to predict whether they'll win or not, but they definitely did us all a solid at Amazon by being the ones to take the first punch, so to speak. You know, and I tell you, I think they got an iron jaw because they just keep coming back. And I love that. And I love that about unions and union people. They never give up. So, so Alabama. So Bernie Sanders went down there. Uh, are you familiar with Killer Mike? Yep. Killer Mike, he, he went down there and uh, basically he was saying that uh, Amazon is a slave labor. How can Amazon be fixed? What do they have to do? That's you know, what, what is the, the key for this? I think it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's as intense as like adapt or die. I wouldn't go that intense with it, but I would say in a way that I think change is going to, is going to come to them, whether it's from, whether it's from a union vote or a union push, or I think the market's going to catch up to them eventually. I don't, I see what's going on right now with, um, the lack of people going back to work for these lower paying jobs in retail and, you know, food service and um, service industries in general. And that's, I feel like that's going to force them to raise wages. If you look at Target, Target's already given you, or they're going to start giving you 15 an hour and um, college tuition paid for, for working there. Mm. So what I feel like all, I feel like um, they're going to have to change eventually because all these other companies are going to catch up. Cause I've, oh, at least from my perspective, Amazon was like with this $15 an hour job whenever it came out, you know, a decade or plus ago, it was kind of, um, it was kind of new. It was, it was, uh, felt the same way about Uber when Uber first started. When you first started Uber, it was, you know, a lot of, it was good money and it was, you were making. And I feel like over time, it's sort of the benefits and the money has been reduced over, over the years through whether it be inflation or lack of, lack of wages. So I feel like they're going to be forced to, or they're going to have to deal with this employee churn that they might not have the workforce they think they do. I, I think I read that they're going to, adding 50,000 more jobs, um, 40,000 in the United States in the coming years. And they go through, I think, about 10% of the workforce every year through this churn. And I think their concern is, are we going to run out of employees I feel like in the last couple of months, there's been some sort of shift towards better employee, um, better employee conditions a little bit, whether that's from a union push or that's from competition or whatever, or um, feedback. But I think it's coming. Um, I think people just got to push on them a little bit and not be afraid. I think the culture of fear is very strong. It can be very strong at Amazon and they will you know, they will petty punish you and they will make your lives, they will make your life more difficult there. I feel like jobs, Sorry, I'm moving I feel around. like all the jobs shouldn't be paid the same. Um, I feel like you should maybe get more for being a picker, mm -hmm. especially if you do it, maybe, and maybe some jobs should be maybe a little, I don't think any job should be less, but I'm saying maybe pickers should be more because mm -hmm. it is kind of a, it is really a lot, a tougher job, yeah. especially with what they expect you to go through while you're picking with the walking and the no, the no distractions, the, the quiet environment. Well, when I uh, when I was able to meet with a representative from the White House or somebody from the White House, one of the things I said 
uh, was that I felt strongly that uh, safety and our, our safety and well-being as employees was weaponized, right? Uh, you know, it's just another way to fire people as, as I see it, right? Um, uh, you know, safety, they, they say that they, they're doing this all for, for our own good, basically. Uh, but what it's done, especially during COVID, was create some intense isolation. You know, I don't know how much you guys worked during the pandemic, but it wasn't uncommon to see people from the safety committee or whatever it is, or their safety staff, you know, their, their sophisticated model for keeping people six feet apart was to yell at them. Hey, you get away from like, and I'm sorry, yelling never really works. And it just kind of ticks people off more. Uh, but I feel, you know, strongly, you know, the, I, I'm glad that you mentioned too, like what should be done because the group I work with nationally, United for Respect, I want to give a shout out to my my always essential fellow colleagues, you know, Dan, Allegra, Courtney, uh, and Sarah, because uh, we all are, we work at Amazon and then we, you know, are attempting to become leaders in our own right uh, within the facilities. Um, and we have been grinding away, you know, in my time at, at United for Respect as a member, we, uh, we, have, we have banged the drums on rate and TOT, which I, we kind of went over that, right? Time off task is, so as a picker, uh, if I have time off task, that means that I have not scanned something for six minutes. So I have not made a pick for six minutes. Uh, and that red flags you in the system and they begin adding from that point. Like if you go six minutes, then you get seven, then eight, then nine, then 10 of time off task. And uh, the normal person is allowed 30 minutes of that every day. It's, it's brutal sometimes in a 10. That, that's including your washroom break? Well, that's the thing. They don't make much of a differentiation. I actually have a medical accommodation, so I get an hour because I have to use the bathroom as a diabetic. It's a thing, you know, it's, it's a thing for us. Um, so they had to kind of wiggle on that. And I've never really had a lot of problems with it, but I know other people struggle and you can be fired for that. It, it's, it's really cutthroat, you know. Um, and so we have circulated petitions, we've mounted kind of national campaigns, uh, because we're not a union, so we don't operate quite like a union, you know, we put up, we can do petitions, we can do concerted activity, uh, uh, you know, in the facility, we can kind of recruit and spread the good word, but we're not a union and have to function differently. But with that said, uh, we still get some neat stuff done. And I think that, you know, not, by no means are we the only ones that did it, but we have seen changes in the rate and TOT policy. Rate is also your quota, like 100 picks an hour, just if anybody's wondering. I was, uh, in, I mean, I've noticed in the last few months at our facility, they're not really enforcing that the same way they used to. Uh, they're being more lenient on it. And I think part of that is pressure from the top, which we're applying on a national level. I mean, when you start circulating a petition talking about rate and TOT, and then a normal average person that works an eight hour day and some other type of what I would call a normal job, they hear that and they just go, wow, that's not really nice. Again, you know, Amazon has, doesn't necessarily want all this stuff being out there, right? Because the rate in TOT, uh, that, that's almost inhumane, right? I mean, that's it's almost like a human rights issue as far as I'm concerned, you know, forcing people to you know, just continuously stay busy. So my understanding is that they now do what a normal, more, more normal business and warehouse business would do is just monitor overall productivity. 
Um, you know, I manage campaigns, uh, you know, like I said, and we have apps that we give people who knock doors. And I've had paid canvassers that basically they're, they're like the pickers, right? Um, and I would go through, you know, their, their numbers at the end of the day. I never set a TOT, you know, I had an understand, I knew how many doors a normal person could knock in an hour, two hours or three hours. I would look for significant drops, right? Like, you know, and I would catch people from time to time taking three hours off and trying to build a campaign for, you know, you know, eight when they really only did five hours of work or something like that. So I understand monitoring productivity, but to micromanage it and, and weaponize it essentially uh, and fire people for it, I just don't think that's right. I think that's that. I don't think anybody should have to go through that. They shouldn't have to deal with that. So. T.O.T. the most, uh, talk to any Amazonian and they'll tell you about T.O.T. and yeah, you know, for first for the for the listeners, um, if you got to go to the bathroom, it's they're not they're not conveniently placed. You gotta it's unless you're very lucky, you're gonna be walking five seven minutes to the bathroom itself. So by the time you actually even get to the bathroom, probably your tot is gonna start accruing, and then you gotta obviously you know finish your business, wash your hands, and then walk back. So by that time, I mean you've racked up maybe 10, 10, 12 minutes of TOT, and you only get 30 per day. So it kind of, it can really just go into the, you know, just going once is, could really put you, you know, behind the eight ball. And I guess that, that gets a lot of hype and a lot of, you know, press and, and talked about. Um, and I, I know that there's a, a bill in California, uh, 701, I believe, that is kind of, is addressing that. Um, where it's trying to get, I think they're trying to reduce and get, maybe even get rid of TOT. Have you guys heard of uh, people defecating in warehouse, in the warehouse, like totes? And uh, what did you guys experience with this? Like, I mean, have you guys heard about it, seen it at like the places where you, where you work? I, I, I find that to be uh, Russell Brand in his, on his podcast has, has, he's not, not a fan of how Amazon's run, but he did say, and I'm probably doing his accent wrong. It's weird and unforgivable. It's weird and unforgivable to do these things. It's really, really gross. Right. Um, but you know, union busting is disgusting too. Right. And I think that may be kind of the hidden message there. Um, I, you know, we, we are in a facility that does have, as you mentioned, uh, maybe five bathrooms for 1300 people. So, and they're not conveniently placed at all. Um, but I think, you know, that's more of an issue, especially not that it doesn't happen in the warehouses, but I think in the warehouses, it's done more intentionally to kind of, you know, rub it in. You know, I've heard, I had a, a poor manager, nice guy, very nice guy. He's, he, and I asked him, have you, I heard something happen about this. And he said, yeah, he found a warm, frothy bottle. Um, so that sounds gross. And he had to, you know, throw it out. And I, I apologize on behalf of everybody. I'm like, I'm sorry they did that. Because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I've always just said, I'm not going to pee in a bottle. I, I mean, I, they're going to, if they're, they're going to hit me, I'm going to go take the TOT for it. You know, I'm, I had the, I have the law on my side, right? I, I can use the bathroom. Um, but it certainly has happened, uh, and it's really, 
I think it's more of an issue for the drivers than the warehouse workers. Not that, as I said, it's not convenient to go to the bathroom and you do accrue TOT. So in a gross, what's kind of gross that I think people should think about is in, to avoid TOT, some people bring those items into the bathroom with them. They put them on the bathroom floor, you know, yeah. or they put them, you know, I mean, that's, I, I, you know, you wonder if a customer is really going to want to buy something like that. So, and I think <laughs> that maybe if they knew, right. Uh, it's sort of like, did you hear about the girl on TikTok? So this was, this ran through the news and I, I didn't hear about it for a couple of weeks, but uh, the, there was a girl that's kind of infamous on TikTok. She's young and she licked a toilet during COVID. Uh, she, she, she pulled off a hoax uh, and said that, you know, she got a package with three bloody tampons in it uh, and that she's going to have a DNA tested. Amazon denied it. And they said that, you know, this is a hoax. And and she said that, I don't know if she acknowledged it was a hoax, but she did say like, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing it for clout. Uh, we need to hold Amazon accountable and they need to do better, you know, and her actual reasons were maybe it's somebody, uh, protesting, getting punished for pro or somebody, you know, angry about being punished for protesting or somebody that couldn't get to the bathroom, or maybe they're just crazy and thinks it's funny. Right. Uh, but she said to hold Amazon accountable for it. Uh, and she also pointed out that the, the biggest reason that this got any traction is because she has 5 million viewers on TikTok. She has a massive social media audience. So, um, you know, these things are, these seem to be tactics that uh, whoever's figuring this out or planning it pretty gross right weird and unforgivable in some ways please don't put tampons in your packages please don't do anything i've never once done anything to a package like that and i try to you, you want to i mean i wash my hands you know and i don't know some people don't right in all situations not just at amazon it's gross right so mm -hmm. uh, i i think that that is something that if you're listening and you're an amazon worker don't do it please Think of the poor person that's going to have to clean that stuff up. Please don't do it. We we should be finding other ways to bring Amazon to the table and hold them accountable. Uh, we don't have to do this. But the drivers have it particularly hard because unlike us in the warehouse, we can take a hit on TOT and go to the bathroom. If you're stuck in an Amazon van for one of their delivery service providers, which, by the way, are not Amazon employees, even though they have to drive trucks with their logo on it, wear uniforms, hit standards that Amazon sets, but they're not, they don't work for Amazon legally if anything happens, right? Uh, they're the ones that they do it out of necessity, just like truck drivers have for a long time. You guys ever watch Trailer Park Boys? I'm not a fan. A couple of times. For those yeah, who, oh well, there's there's a lot of piss jugs as they call it. Uh, way of the road, bubs. Way of the road. Uh, drivers of all sorts have been known for a long time to sort of pee in jugs and stuff like that. That's why there's yeah. heavy regulation of truck drivers, because you know you have to be. They, they would be pushed themselves to to work so long. They use bottles to pee in. So it's not you know it's not anything new really. It's just that Amazon. You don't normally hear say a post office person doing that like a you know a mailman doing that or you know anybody ups or fedex you never really hear about that coming out of their companies and yet amazon they have to keep that productivity so high they just keep a rolling and you know people literally just don't have the time or the ability to go to the bathroom you know i mean if you're delivering in a neighborhood where there's no parks there's no gas stations there's not even a mcdonald's anywhere around where do you go to the bathroom in the truck so that's real. It does happen. Weird and unforgivable.
So Amazon is worldwide. It's not just United States. And in Asia, or the, the delivery uh, drivers, they were uh, being worked to death, literally, where like they had 11 deaths. And they were just like, I got to pay for everything. And they're on the road. They don't get to see their families. And But that's all that really is. They, they're unionized out there, too. So what what is the problem with their union compared to if we have a union? And uh, what, like two years ago, uh, a guy had a heart attack. And if you have a heart attack at work, maybe you're being worked to death. So the, the name of that man who died in the Juliet facility, his name was Thomas Becker. Um, and his wife, the last time I checked, is suing Amazon. They have forced arbitration. The most she can possibly get is $50,000. Um, it's very sad. Yeah. You don't, shouldn't have a casualty. And the story, as I understand it, because this was reported on internationally as well, that there was a death in the Joliet facility. Um, and the story, as I understand it, is he did have a heart attack. He went down. Uh, they called 911. They held up paramedics and firefighters and the first the first responders they held them off for like 20 minutes or something and by the time they got to him it was already too late and I, I don't you know I, I don't know that it would have been possible to even save him based on the timeline everything that you know could Amazon have prevented it well it sure didn't help holding the paramedics up right uh, yeah. and additionally when they did an inspection they found that the artificial external defibrillators the aeds you know the things they put on your chest and boom they were not charged in the facility oh. so even if somebody had the presence of mind and the understanding of what to do in that situation they knew first aid let's say they grab an aed it's not charged that's no good either so these are these are all things that you know amazon should be held accountable and it's very sad. It's very sad that Joliet has been a facility that that happened. And I believe I've heard of that happening in Ohio as well, I want to say. And they were asking for things like a man's driver's license and social security number. I mean, what does that have to do? What, what does that have to do with a medical emergency? You know, we're not signing up for insurance or a credit card here, right? I mean, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be factoring in at all. So I, I, I don't know. I, does anybody else know about any of that? Because that's what I know about the situation in Joliet, because that was reported internationally. I read about that in The Guardian. I follow a UK newspaper, and, and that's what, what it was reported in. So it does have a safety committee, correct? Um, and I don't, I don't for the life of me understand fully what the selection process is for safety committee or any of that. Um, and I think you brought up a good point, a really good point, in that these are not OSHA policies that they're following, right? These are their internal policies. So something that uh, uh, my colleagues across the country that are also, as you are colleagues as well, working at Amazon, we feel that things like safety, uh, AmCare and HR have been subverted for the purposes of the, um, the, the, burn, the turnover machine. Right. They're just another way to get somebody fired. Right. A safety violation. And, you know, you go to Amcare, they're more interested in covering for the company, uh, or at least that's what it seems to be. I mean, there's different I've had I had some really bad experiences with HR. Then they switched around and I've had a couple of good ones. Right. Uh, so they, they I mean, good HR people are very good. Right. But if you get bad ones, 
uh, you know, that could really, that, that could ruin somebody's job, right? In my case, it was, you know, not knowing my rights and having to work with, with issues, uh, health issues. So um, I think in general, yeah, you're, you hit it spot on. They're there to enforce the, the Amazon handbook more than they're necessarily looking out for safety, right? Like, like look at things like, and they're re, again, safety is a pretext for, for doing things, right? For instance, at our facility, you can't wear, I don't know if this is in the NDA or not, but who cares? You can't have earplugs in, right? That's their thing right now, right? You're, you're going to get written up for having a single ear earbud connected to your phone. You know, you could lose your job over that, theoretically, right? Um, but yet OSHA standards have it so that the earplugs that you can put in that they give away for free and encourage you to wear, those, those plug up anything up to 85 decibels. Uh, my understanding, the little research I did was that up 70 decibels, you can hear from up to 50 feet. So if you're blocking out up to 85 decibels, you can't hear anything. But they say that you can't have a single earbud in to listen to music or a book on tape because it could it's a safety issue. That's not a safety issue. Uh, a safety issue is having your earplugs in and not being able to hear somebody coming, right? Because that's when we do, when we go through the mod, right? We all have to say corner and crossing and uh, announce our intentions. So it, it, it works fine if you've got a single earbud in, but they're, they're contradicting themselves. And that's, as some might say, that's kind of petty. And they don't like that. They don't, they, they've never addressed that logic. You know, they don't seem to really give much, they don't seem to care much about that logic that, uh, this is not congruent with OSHA standards. You should either you should either ban both or neither. And I've told managers I would be much more comfortable with a management technique that just says, "Hey, we want your full attention," because that's really what it is, right? They don't want you distracted by the phone, and that could affect your efficiency. In my, I mean, that's what it seems to be. I mean, it can't possibly be a real safety problem, you know, because of the contradiction I mentioned, right? So they're not banning earplugs. So if it's that you can't hear somebody, it just doesn't add up. And they do a lot of that with their policies, right? Stuff that doesn't add up when you apply a little basic logic to it. Um, and yet they insist that you have to do. It's, I mean, I, I don't wanna trash anybody, but what do the safety people at these facilities do? I mean, I'm sure there's some good ones, but in my opinion, what I've seen is some of these positions are almost redundant within the business. If people are properly trained and follow safety protocols, you don't necessarily need wandering safety patrols, right? At that point, those are almost, uh, you know, those people are almost, you know, monitoring the floor for other things or something, right? They're not really, oh, they're almost security guards. Yes, exactly. Dan, I'd yeah. like to hear, I'd like to hear your uh, thoughts on. Uh... Well, I mean, Drew was talking about the earbuds thing and anyone who's known me at Amazon knows that that has been my absolute number one number one issue um, at Amazon was the not being able to wear one earbud while you're picking because you got to understand that when you're picking when you're picking these 10 hour or these nine nine hours a day is it's complete silence other than the beeps on your scanner so you're walking around and you don't have really a lot of time to talk to people because you got to stay on task and you have no some sort no distractions you have no music no podcasts and to me like I like learning I like, you know, getting more educated on things. And that's, that is the reason why I actually do like pick is because it allows me the, the opportunity and the time so that I can learn about, learn about things and, and get more, get smarter, I guess. Um, like the unspoken, I know that the unspoken thing is you can do it. They just won't, you just don't, 
you don't show it, you don't advertise it, you don't do it in front of, you know, managers and you can pretty much get away scot-free. But I feel like a lot of the new hires don't know that and they're afraid because they don't want to get fired in their first couple of weeks so that they're, they try to fight this battle of, you know, the monotony of, of the daily grind, especially if you're there five, six days a week, it really wears you down. Not only, not only physically, but mentally, because you just, you know, you're, you're in this, you're in this sterilized box with no distractions other than the beeps on your scanner and the, the squeaks on the cart, really. I feel like these safety meetings to me are ways where they can try to appease you and go to the public with, oh yeah, well, we get employee safety, you know, we have these meetings that you can go to and express your concerns. I feel like it's more of a talking point to them that they're able to say that as opposed to something like something that they're going to really take to heart and have real change about. So I feel like they're kind of just placating you in a way so that they can you know, tell the press or tell everybody, hey, we have meetings where employees can come together, you know, and they express their concerns. But if you don't really ever implement them or even respond to what people are saying, then is there really the biggest point to these? Or These are questions I ask every day, right? Is why are they doing some of the things that they're doing? And to me, a lot of it is about control, psychological, physical, et cetera. They want to control what you're doing. Um, and it doesn't always, I, I think the back and forth over the, the earbud thing is just, it's just one example, right, of, of things that they do that, it, and, and I know, I know people that have been written up recently for the earbud thing. And then I see people walking around with them and I, I have to wonder how they target people, right? Yeah. Why, why are some people written up for it and others aren't? You know, exactly. it's clear that everybody's roaming around, you know, you know, breaking these rules. Why are they, why are some people getting a pass and others not, you know, I mean, and for something that shouldn't even really be a rule in the first place, you know, that exactly. isolation stuff too, Dan, I, I, you know, it's hard on your, hard on you mentally to be alone for 10 hours a day, right? Yeah, very much so. Drew, if they, you could change all their policies and there'd be no union, what would they have to fix? So if you weren't going to have a union, uh, then I, I mean, I feel like there should be some other democratic, not Democrat party, but like some sort of democratic decision-making at these facilities, right? That's what unions are. You vote on a contract, you vote for your leadership, you vote. It gives you a vote. I'm very big on having a vote. So, I mean, if you were going to run a facility without a union, uh, I would love to see a, some sort of democracy in action, right? Voting on some of these things, you know? And I've heard at other facilities in the groups I'm in, they do actually vote on certain things, right? Um, not every facility is the same. So I would like to see more democracy in the workplace. I mean, again, the earbuds, who's going to vote against that? You know, I, I'm pretty sure everybody in the facility would vote for it, right? Same with other safety standards and stuff like that. But there's really no way in which you can say petition on an issue and then uh, vote on it, right? It's they make the rules and you follow them whether you like it or not. And a union provides some relief from that. Um, and I think some of the things that we've mentioned, uh, 150% turnover, unacceptable, okay? Double the average injury rates, unacceptable. People with such a low wage for the area they're in having to stay in their car, unacceptable. People drawing public aid while working full-time, unacceptable. Now, I don't know necessarily that what the answers to this are either, but I like to think we're asking the right questions when we talk about those things. So those are sort of red lines, you know, lower turnover, 
safer, safer working conditions, uh, and you know, avoid you know. And I think when I talk about wages and a living wage, I think that there has to be a way to properly compensate people uh, based on tenure and productivity um, to a degree that they have some level of financial independence, right? So the average Amazon worker makes thirty-one to $37,000 a year. Uh, they produce $525,000 worth of revenue in a year. Um, at least that was the math that uh, it was, a, I can cite it later if you need it, but I mean, that was a statistic that we have. So my argument is that uh, according to Jim Cramer on Mad Money, you know my favorite stockbroker. Yes, I follow the. I'm not. I'm not a communist. I, I, I follow the stock market. I want to. I want to invest. In fact, I, I recommend everybody buy a tie. They they make psychedelics, but I digress. Uh, Jim Cramer on Mad Money stresses that the economy is not the stock market. It is wages and jobs. And, you know, he said that most places in the United States, $23 an hour or roughly $44 to $45,000 a year is a living wage. I just don't think it's that hard to get. Like, if you've made it there at Amazon a full year, which most people don't, I don't think it should, you know, it should be an uphill battle to get that kind of money. That's not a lot of money. That's not a lot of money for a company like Amazon. So, I mean, these things would all have to be addressed. And there's a level of financial independence there, right? Uh, the sort of scenario I played out where people are sort of preying on each other within the facilities to get something, you know, get a, to get an apartment, right? Uh, that shouldn't be happening. And that, that doesn't happen if you're paying people properly, in my opinion. You know, I think you should pay people, you know, well uh, enough so that they, they stay and that they can afford basic housing and money, you know, utilities. They can pay all their bills and have something other than $100 left over, right? Have some real discretionary spending money uh, to invest, to save. I'm a big believer in the Weberian Protestant work ethic. Work, save, and invest, repeat, you know, until you have enough money to not have to work anymore. That's That's been in play for a long time. And instead, that in, income inequality kind of comes back into play to tie it back to the beginning, right, is that, you know, when the, you, they keep driving real wages down in the United States, uh, and, you know, because of that, people live paycheck to paycheck as opposed to having some real independence financially, which is to say, you know, like I said, making enough money where you're not going to sweat you know, a hundred bucks here and there, right? Um, but as it stands, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, either have to rely on, I mean, a lot of people I've seen have dual income households, you know, they have something else that they've got going, some other kind of business. And Amazon kind of likes that because they don't necessarily want to pay, you know, my, my, my take is they don't want to pay a higher wage. They don't want people sticking around. They, it's been public, it's publicly known they don't want a large disgruntled workforce. Uh, and if you're paying people $45,000 a year, you know, people might want to stick around for that. Now, well, I think that's a good thing. I, I think there's people in the business world that have kind of a narrow view of how business works that see that as splitting the pie, right? We want to expand the pie in negotiating with a company like Amazon. We want to create a deal that's good for everybody. For instance, if you raise wages in certain community, in any community, you raise Amazon workers' uh, wages. That should theoretically increase money velocity within the local economies. That is money being exchanged. And so that produces more prosperity. And then those people spend money at Amazon, right? And so it just kind of keeps, it's a, a virtuous economic cycle. So I, I think that's what I would like to see. You know, I don't know that workers can generate enough leverage to do that without collective bargaining. And that's 
that's what I'm a big fan of. Now, it's not necessarily union. Something to point out and something for everybody listening to think about, especially if you're an Amazon worker, know that you can go on strike without a union. So you, if we called a nationwide strike of Amazon workers, that's something that could really, that, that is, you could do that. Uh, or your facility, you can go on strike whenever you want. So that's the kind of collective bargaining tactic that, you know, or some collective bargaining tactic where you all work together that doesn't require a union. And I mean, honestly, do you think anybody at Amazon would be trying to start a union if they were being paid 23 to 25 bucks an hour? Nope. Nope. It's not hard. It's just that simple. Pay people more and they're not going to complain. But it, it seems like they, they're just, we're heading to the showdown here. You know, at some point, something's going to break. And I think, you know, Amazon's going to have a much bigger labor dispute on its hands than, than little old Bessemer. So I don't know anything about Amazon. 150% turnover rate. Could you guys explain that? Their employees either quit or leave for whatever reason. Um, so they go through their whole workforce every Every eight months, um, every eight to, eight to 12 months, people cycle in and out for, for various reasons, whether it be, you know, the job itself or some sort of issue they had or people leaving for whatever reason. And that, that, that figure is, is really high for, for uh, a place that, you know, Amer you know, they advertise themselves as, you know, America's workforce or whatever, America's favorite job or something like that. There's some sort of slogan. Um, getting back to, uh, what, what, um, I would like to see, I, I would add in, um, I'm a, I geek out on Roman history, if you know anything about me. And, um, there was a position in the Roman Republic, it was called Tribune of the Plebs. And it, there was some sort of advocacy group for the citizens against what was, it was the Senate where they could veto or they can make recommendations and they could veto anything that the Senate, um, tries to put on the people. And, Obviously, I would like to see not only for this country, but maybe even for Amazon, some sort of, whether it be a union or not union, some sort of governing body that has some representation of the people that they can, a be, I guess a better advocacy group where, you know, they can, this group could maybe stop some sort of practices or make recommendations um, for stuff that could be changed or stuff you could do. Then hazard pay, do you guys feel like you guys should be getting hazard pay? We did for two months in 2020. Uh, what happened? It started in like April of 2020 and ended on like in like June or something. They gave us two or three months of an extra $2 an hour. Uh, and that was it. And they never called it hazard pay because then they would have to acknowledge that there was a hazard and a risk. So um, I, I think that in terms of the pandemic, uh, yeah, I, I think until we know that this thing's safe, uh, there probably should be some kind of extra compensation. Um, it seemed like it was easy enough to do for a couple of months, you know, and they're throwing signing bonuses at people to come into the company, right? They're throwing all this money at people to come into the company. It makes no sense to me that you can't pay your employees that stick around a little bit more, uh, and especially for them assuming the risk of, you know, uh, for for whatever reason, you don't get a vaccine. I'm vaccinated. I, I, I don't, you know, but I also know that's a personal choice. You know, these are relatively new vaccines. And it's just like with a union, you have a choice to do it or not do it. Right. Um, and until we know for certain that this, that the infection rates are down. Yeah. I do think that everybody should be getting paid. I'm vaccinated, like I said, so I'm not as worried about it. Um, but I know that 
you know, I, I live with uh, my father who is, you know, about 60 something years old um, and we both got vaccinated. Um, but before that, I was nervous, you know, that if I get to work and I got, I came home and he got sick, you know, he thinks he's strong as a bull, right? Just like me, but you don't know. You don't know. I mean, people, the older you get, the, the more dangerous the coronavirus becomes to you, right? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that weighed heavily on my mind. And I think we should have been paid extra that entire time. I think they're, they're being cheap, just very, very cheap. They, one of their principles is frugality. I think there's a difference between frugality and compulsive frugality, right? There's a difference between saying, you know what? I don't need those extra items at the grocery store because I just don't need them. And I want to save some money instead of blowing it all. That's frugality. Compulsive frugality is saying, we just can't pay people hazard pay because, 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 be oh, there is no reason, is there? You could pay them easily. So that's, I'd like to point that out that, Again, they kind of hide behind some of these principles as well, uh, or seem to, like frugality, as I said, is more compulsive frugality. That's something I think about quite a bit when dealing with people that run businesses or run campaigns or anything like that. Are they being frugal or are they being compulsively frugal because they just don't like spending money at all? Because there's a difference. There is a difference. And I don't know about you guys, but um, it, when I watched um, the founder or Bezos, uh, go off into space. I, I didn't feel any pride, really. I didn't feel any, you know, some sort of happiness or whatever. All I really felt was that was probably the company's raise money, like shooting off into space is because for me, I mean, I think you had talked about it. I think if you look at the market value of this job, it is a 21 to probably $25 an hour job. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at like market value, and if you think of the, the profits that Amazon had made, um, during the pandemic and for what what I felt like we got as raises I mean I think most of us got a dollar raise uh, I'm pretty sure um, for I think they made 86 billion in additional profit and for us to only get a dollar raise and then I see him you know blasting off into space in this interesting uh, shaped rocket it didn't do anything for me if anything it made me mad because I felt like that's you know that's money you know that was that was that should have been raise money or hazard pay money or something of the nature as opposed to some sort of whatever you want to call what that was but i i attempted to initiate some direct action and concerted activity i i called for a space out for 11 minutes while jeff bezos was in space i did not work for the 11 minutes he was in the rocket i, I can tell you that um nobody noticed because like i say i don't take much tot so you know a an 11 minute break actually isn't that long compared to 20 or 30 minutes in the bathroom but you know uh i i did not have as much success as i would have liked but i thought that was you know 11 minutes of doing nothing and my line of thinking was if you got money for rockets you got money for your workers just yeah. that simple what do you think that Amazon employees could do better to help move the ball and help help the cause um, for what can, you know, everyone talks about the company itself and what they can do, but what can an individual do to help move this ball along or other employees out there that are maybe listening or have similar grievances? Well, I, I can tell you uh, an old saying, right, is that there's strength in numbers. Uh, the more of us there are uh, asking for something, the more likely we are to get it. And let me let me let me uh, give you an example. So if I go in and I ask for a raise, what are they going to tell me? 
they're going to tell me if you don't like it, you know, if you don't like your wage, go to someplace where you'll like it, right? Now, let's say everybody in the warehouse goes in and asks for a raise. What are they going to do? Tell us all to leave? I think average employees, let's, you know, we should start learning how to work together, right? Like ape stronger together, Amazonian stronger together, right? We're all stronger together. Um, and it doesn't have to be adversarial with management, but we have to stick together as hourly workers and press certain things. Like if we all signed a petition saying that we don't want to have to, we want to be able to wear earbuds, they don't have to recognize it, but that's, you know, petitioning is a legal way in which you can get hourly workers because the way that the law is split is that hourly workers have the right to concerted activity not salaried uh, managers right so the way they break that down in an election is all the hourly workers vote so um, the biggest thing i would say is learning how to work together and not being afraid of that um, and i don't know how you do that for some people i have because i am so active some of the new employees don't even look at me. I mean, they are like terrified of me because they think that getting involved with me is going to end up losing them their job, which just shows how the information out there has been distorted and, and mishandled, right? Uh, yeah, they have some leeway in terms of at-will employment and all that, but they absolutely cannot fire you for trying to initiate uh, a union activity or concerted activity. They can't. So I think, you know, however you got, however you got to get over that sense of fear, uh, I'm not your enemy. You know, I want what's, I, in fact, what, uh, you know, my sort of motto is for the many, not the few, you know, uh, when I ran for office, I ran for school board, that was my motto for the many, not the few vote for Drew. Um, and that's kind of what gives me, I, I have a personal sort of, uh, I guess, issue if you're not issue, but I, I always feel like I'm better as a person if I'm in service and helping others. And so taking on a challenge like this, um, I think about what's good for everyone. Like I could buy, I could myself find a little niche at Amazon, just, you know, uh, start a business and not care about all the other employees and run my business and get healthcare and 401k from Amazon and hopefully work as few hours as possible. That's a model out there. That only takes me into account. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, the more people think like that, the better, uh, you know, is this going to help other people, not just myself? Because uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can get a leg up by yourself, but that leaves, you know, the other million Amazon workers without much. Um, and I know that me, I have a real problem with uh, homelessness, hunger, poverty. Ever since I was a kid, I've gotten really upset seeing those kinds of things in the world because I feel like we just shouldn't have them. Um, and so I'm driven, you know, by that. Uh, and, and I hope that more Amazonians unite, um, you know, or assemble, you know, kind of like the Avengers, Amazonians assemble, you know, and because together, and, and this is, this is ironically enough, the same thing the management team will probably tell you about not joining a union, right, is that you want to be on a team and we all work together and you want a direct connection with your supervisors and you don't want an outside company coming or an outside party doing anything. Well, that works to a degree that direct connection can get you a raise personally. Uh, but you know, what kind of leverage can you really even generate alone? You know, yeah, you're on a team, but do you really have a say on that team with, with the management and the company people? I, I don't think you have as much to say as you do in a union. I would love to see a union formed. I keep banging that drum. And, uh, other than that, you know, uh, don't be scared. This isn't gonna, this isn't the, the world is changing. Things are changing. We've seen change at Amazon. 
Don't be scared. I say run with it. Lean into it. You guys are obviously brave for coming on this podcast. And uh, do you guys fear any repercussions? I'm not too afraid. Um, I feel like we've, you know, the topics that we've talked about and presented have been, you know, fair and we've dealt in, in facts and statistics and, you know, so I'm not really. I also don't have a fear because of the job market we're in. I think that's kind of is, is in a way helped me not be afraid to, to speak out. And I, you know, I have spoken out at Amazon in the past um, when it comes to certain issues. And I think that stems from, I'm not afraid because there's a million jobs out there right now. Um, there's everyone's hiring, everyone's looking for people. The, the place next to us is hiring at 19 an hour, which is three and a half dollars more than what Amazon is paying, like just next door to, you know, so I'm not afraid, I, I really, I do care. I, I want things to change and I don't mean like, I don't care in that aspect, but in terms of them, if there's some sort of repercussions, uh, I'll survive. You guys are probably going to be famous after this. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I'd, I'd say too, uh, if you're waiting for somebody to come along and, and save you, uh, you need to go ahead and just look in the mirror, you know, and because everybody's going to have to pitch in. If we are going to get something done, everybody's going to have to pitch in. Um, and as for retaliation, I know my rights. Um, I uh, recently filed some complaints with the National Labor Relations Board. Um, I'm still pending a settlement, but they were found to have merit, which means uh, they were out of line. At one point, kicking me out of the parking lot, uh, I had yard signs and bingo sheets and printouts from the National Labor Relations Board, letters from OSHA in 2015. I was trying to engage workers and they kicked me out of the parking lot uh, after a couple days of that, uh, which was patently illegal. They said they were enforcing a, something called a 15 minute policy uh, whereby you cannot be on the facility 15 minutes before, 15 minutes after. Anyways, before I ramble on about that too much, they kicked me out. They weren't supposed to. And then in a move unique to Joliet, uh, a security guard tried to kick me off the sidewalk as well, which is, as you know, we live in a free country and you can't kick people off of the sidewalk, uh, especially for doing what I'm doing. I told them to go ahead and call the police. Uh, they never did. Um, but I, you know, I know my rights to, you know, and I know what they can do and what they can't do. And I think everybody should get learned up on that too. Additionally, you know, if they were to do something really bizarre to me, that would probably initiate a retaliation lawsuit. You know, um, if you'd like to, uh, I have a Facebook page called Workers Against Retaliation, W-A-R. Uh, you mentioned, you made mention of that, you know, the, I would like to maybe have a workers against retaliation council, you know, a war council. Uh, but it, that I use that site as a way, uh, and another couple of people that help run it, you know, we're not particularly active, but we post things on there. Like, what are your rights as an employee? You know, and we have a link to the national labor relations board, you know, what is, uh, what does retaliation look like? What's going on at Amazon right now? So if anybody's listening to this and they want to kind of get ready. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information that website is, is supposed to arm you with information uh, so that you know your rights and can protect yourself at work. So, um, and that that's why I'm not as scared of retaliation. My battle is kind of over. Gandhi once said, uh, you know, uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. 
So we've kind of gotten past the fighting stage. They're still fighting, and that's going to probably continue for a while. They tried to ignore me. That didn't quite work. I got made fun of and laughed at quite a bit. Uh, now they're fighting me pretty directly. So, I mean, based on Gandhi's logic, the next step should be winning, hopefully. Protesting outside of your, your work building, correct? Yes. And, and that's, that's what you were just talking about. I've uh, been going for you. Well, that's tough. Um, as a tactic, it was intended to kind of get the conversation kick-started about the, about, you know, the union stuff and the organizing stuff. Um, I, I do have, part of it is that, it, you know, it, it's not always fun to go out there and protest, right? I mean, and it only does so much if it's, you have to be strategic in your thinking. Uh, but I, I do intend, well, like, like I said earlier, stay tuned. Uh, there will be more. Things will happen. Uh, we do have a small organizing committee going. And um, so I would say that it's going well in that regard. And we have interest from other people. You know, it's, it's sort of this process of uh, you engage Amazon and you engage the company and you engage the workers. And then over time, you know, you build trust and they, they figure out that they can't, you know, they start wanting to be a part of it. You know, uh, at least that's what I've experienced. And labor organizing is different from, say, campaign organizing, because I would just start off, I've parachuted, not literally, but figuratively into towns and just taken a list of like 200 people and just started calling until I had volunteers knocking doors and making calls, right? It's a little different. It's a little more nuanced in a workplace. You have to first keep the job. That's, that's rule number one, right? Uh, then, you know, you have to develop relationships with people. And there are barriers and obstacles to that uh, that can take a little time. You know, I've been at this for maybe six months, actively organizing. And, you know, it's taken this long to get a handful of people, a small handful of people to be willing to get active. So, uh, but hopefully it's like a snowball and it just keeps growing. Um, as for what we're going to do next, like I said, stay tuned. I'm not going to tell you exactly, maybe off the air, I can give you a little bit more, but uh, you know, I do, I am spreading around a three-point plan online. Uh, some people hate it. Uh, I think some other people like it, but uh, one, get a job at Amazon. Two, start a union. Three, secure the bag, as the kids say, you know. It's much more than in this two hours we've been talking, it's much more than just securing the bag, so to speak, right? But that that's what people will understand. So that's the process, you know. Uh, we get organized and then we start asking for things, you know, we're asking for change. So uh, I, I am just determined to have this happen, uh, much to the detriment of a number of people's, you know, opinion of me, right? They, they would much rather I don't do this. Uh, I think some of my family would rather I don't do this. Some of my friends would rather I not do this, uh, not because they don't think it's the right thing, but because they think, you know, you're gonna make your own life hard for this. Uh, and sometimes for people that don't even want a difference made. But I do this on principle that I think this is the right thing to do. And that's why I do it. Not for clout, not for money, not for attention and all these things. There's, there's no ulterior motive. The payoff I get off of this would be everybody's payoff if we get a raise, right? Does that, you know, I mean, we, that's, what, that's what my goal is. Um, and as Mother Jones, a famous union organizer said, if you ain't got a union, you ain't got a goddamn thing. You know, yeah. uh, and that's how I feel about it. Uh, so I'd like to continue that. And hey, it may not happen, but uh, you have percent of the shots you don't take. I, uh, I had my godfather uh, who passed away far too early. Um, 
he was a union man with the city of Chicago, the water reclamation district. And he used to say that to me, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. He said, he said this at the end of his life, uh, the last five years or so, um, he beat cancer, but then the chemo ripped up his kidneys and he was too old for a transplant. So, and I don't use my uncle Joe's name in vain. Uh, I strongly believe what he said that we should be taking the shot, you know, that we have this and we should be trying to do it. Uh, so I keep him, keep him close to my heart and close to my mind in this as well. So I, I do miss him. He would be so happy to see this. I think he'd get a real kick out of it. My pleasure, Drew. Dan? Yeah. Having you guys on my show. Drew, if you could send a message to Amazon workers, what would you tell them? Hmm. All of a sudden, I'm short on words, huh? <laughs> Something I would say, and I've always kind of wanted to say this too. I'm not here to tell you how this is going to end, but I can tell you how it's going to begin. We're going to end this podcast, and you're going to have the thoughts and the facts that we've given you. Uh, and we're, I'm going to walk away from this and continue fighting with Amazon. Not fighting, but I'm going to continue to, to show people the truth, which is that you have every right to ask for more from your employer and out of life. Stop acting like you deserve only the bare minimum. You deserve far, far more than what Amazon's giving you right now, which is basically the bare minimum. They might argue that, but love yourself, love others enough to want more than that. And as Dan said, don't be scared. I know you're gonna be. If you're at our facility, definitely come find me, and I'll take, I'll, 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 I'll fight for you as as much as I can. And there's other people out there like me. You just gotta, you just gotta connect with us. Uh, so please don't be scared. Search for the truth, uh, and love many, trust few. And as Tom Morello would say, um, because it is, it is a, it isn't going to be easy. But as John F. Kennedy said, we don't do, we do these things because they're hard. I'm doing this because it's hard, because it's not going to be easy. Nothing's guaranteed. I could walk in tomorrow and they could find a way to fire me. But if they don't, I'm going to keep plugging away at it like the little train that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And I hope that you're inspired and emboldened and ultimately empowered by all these things that we've said and that you look in the mirror when you're looking for somebody to make a difference in your life.